Welcome to It Pays to Know, the Infinicep podcast where we dive deeply into unexplored areas of payments, embedded finance, and more. My name is Todd Abelowitz. I'm co-founder and co-CEO of Infinicept, and today my guest is the incomparable Simon Torres. Simon is a globally recognized expert in the field of embedded finance, and he currently serves as a member of the World Economic Forum's Digital Platforms and Ecosystems Working Group. All that, and he's also just a great guy. Today, Simon and I talk about the basic principles of embedded finance, why this market is a trillion dollar opportunity, and the key challenges that companies face in capturing that opportunity. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Simon Torrance. Hi, everybody. Today, I have Simon Torrance on the call. I am so excited to have Simon on this podcast. The embedded finance research you've done, Simon, has been tremendous, and we're just so excited. Can we start out with a little bit of an introduction? Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'm an independent advisor to companies on business model transformation, fundamentally the way that a company creates and captures value. And I've been doing that for the last 20 years, particularly looking at how traditional companies can adopt and adapt the digital business models that have worked so well for Silicon Valley and some of the Chinese companies over the last 10 or 20 years. And I got into embedded finance about two years ago. I was doing some work for a big financial institution on a business model development and new growth strategy. And it just struck me that there is this enormous gulf between what people need from financial services and what they're getting at the moment. And I thought, well, digital technology and digital business models could really address this. And I felt, given how important financial services is to everybody's life, that this is a really noble topic to focus on. So for the last two years, I've been really heavily focused on embedded finance and trying to bring the latest thinking to the world and making it practical and understandable and making some change happen. That's great, Simon. I think there are a number of people, maybe everybody at Infinicept, that are really your biggest fans. We used a lot of your work. I think I told you this. We used a lot of your work for our board strategy around embedded finance. So it's really exciting to have you here today. Let's kick it off with the basics. Could you tell us a little bit about what is embedded finance? Yes. So I'll give you a technical description, and then I'll give you a if you like, the purpose of it and the vision for it. But technically, what's happened is that financial technology has become so powerful now that all those capabilities that were trapped within financial institutions or have been trapped within them for hundreds of years now essentially have been abstracted into software such that any developer at any company can take advantage of them. A bit like Lego bricks that were trapped in other organizations, they now can take advantage of financial service capabilities and combine them with their own propositions and customer experiences. And that's been enabled by the accelerating capabilities of financial technology. And so I'll give you a very simple example. It's always the easiest one. You know, when you get out of an Uber cab, you don't have to get your wallet out and pay for the journey because a developer at Uber has embedded payments into their customer experience. And it makes it seamless and easy for me as a rider. 
But now, not only payment capabilities, but lending and insurance and investment management, the same thing's happening. So brands that want to create new types of positive experiences for their customers can take advantage of these developments and embed different types of financial capabilities into their own experiences and do it cheaply and quickly and test and iterate fast. And that's really dramatically developed over the last five years, I'd say, that possibility of doing it. So that's, if you like, the technical definition of it. And I will come on to why that's exciting and so on later on. But the vision for it, coming back to why I got involved, is that ultimately, I think that if brands who have much more regular interactions with consumers, like Uber when you're in a cab with them, but many other brands like retailers or banks or others that have daily interactions often with consumers and customers, if we can help them to embed financial service at the moment in the context where it's most needed, rather than the consumer having to go somewhere else, going to a bank for a loan, going for, to an insurance company for coverage and so on. If we can seamlessly embed it in those experiences, then I think the exciting vision for it is that we could, if we get this right, enable financial wellness, financial wellness as the aim, to be baked in to the everyday lives of everyone, not just people who can afford financial services, but financial wellness as a concept baked into the everyday lives of everyone. And so that's the vision or the purpose that I tend to talk about, about why this is so important. And then technically it's enabled by the developments that I mentioned just now. It's funny you describe it that way because that really aligns with Infinicep's vision to enable financial availability everywhere. So let's talk about the problems this solves. So what kinds of problems does it solve and for whom? Well, I mean, fundamentally, you've got this supply and demand problem. And let's just start on the demand side. That's customers or individuals, people like you and me as citizens. What's happening is that protection gaps are getting bigger and bigger. You know, financial services allows us to go about our life um, and makes it easy to do that. But as populations grow, as the world becomes more complex, there are more risks around and so on and so forth, we've got this real gap between what people need and what they're being offered. And I'll give you a few examples to bring this to life. We're all going to live, uh, for good or ill, much longer than our parents did. But we don't have enough money to retire on, and the government doesn't have enough money to pay us as well. The retirement savings gap, which is the gap between the amount of money people need to live comfortably when they retire and what they actually have, in the US today is $40 trillion. So when those people or when we retire, the vast majority of people will not be able to retire comfortably and someone's got to pick up that tab. The government can't do it. Therefore, we need a financial system that is encouraging and enabling people to save effectively for their retirement. So if you've got a $40 trillion gap today, which is growing 5% per annum, that's a major, major problem for society. So I'll come on to the technically how embedded finance helps to address that. But that's one problem, if you like, for society in general. The other problem 
you know, if you're a small business, of course, you know how difficult it is to get a loan from a bank. It takes, you know, it takes weeks and you desperately need working capital. You can't get it and you could get turned down just because some type of credit scoring, which means you can't get the credit that you need. And small businesses are the backbone of the economy. And we saw with the, in the COVID crisis that the digital lenders and digital payment companies were able to circumvent all that traditional friction and get the credit to people very, very quickly. And so again, embedded finance is a technical solution. Uh, we, we've seen people, when there's a real requirement, make it happen. And on the demand side, we're seeing that the technology enables us to match that demand better than it has in the past. So on the demand side, there are these gaps that exist today that are getting wider. Technology plays a role in trying to close those gaps. But on the supply side, if you like, the financial institutions, it's not good for them either. The majority of financial institutions in the world, surprising maybe, but they make zero or negative economic profit. So most banks or insurance companies do not make a profit after the cost of capital. That's different from accounting profit, but it's a much purer description of their ability to generate a return on their investments. And so you've got the supply side, the banks and the insurance companies and the lenders who are not, on average, the majority of them, not managing to make a profit as the sector digitizes and a customer expectations go up and competitors start to come into the market. So you've got a problem on the supply side as well. And so what Embedded Finance says is, why don't we work with brands that have got these much closer relationships with end users and make it easy for them to create the right type of affordable, relevant, personalized, and accessible solutions that fit the needs of their customers, enable them to do that, give them the tools to do that, rather than having this vast gap between what people need and those the financial institutions that are a long way away are trying to double guess what people might need. If I have to sum it up from a consumer and a society point of view, that's a problem on the demand side. And on the supply side, the problem it's addressing is the fact that most financial institutions are not making economic profit today under their existing business model. That completely boggles my mind, and I can't believe I just heard it. I've never heard of this before. Can you explain what's going into the fact that you just said financial institutions aren't making money? They're not making profit? Yeah, well, absolutely. So this is the majority of them. So that's more than 50%. So there are right. obviously some, you know, some of the very big ones, you know, they've got a lot of power and they do quite well. But the majority of the supply base is making zero or negative economic profit. So that's just a fact. And McKinsey tracked this and published plenty of papers demonstrating this. But even JP Morgan, which is, I think, the most valuable financial institution on the planet at the moment, even they are worried about the impact of digitalization on their business model. So Jamie Dimon, the CEO, said he was, I mean, he, he used these words, scared shitless, he said to his executives uh, last year, that digitization is doing a number of things and they need to prepare for it. And the things are that digitization tends to increase the expectations that customers have because they're used to certain ways of accessing services, uh, particularly you know, younger people, uh, millennials and Gen Z and, and so on. And they're not going to put up with going to a branch or getting a check in the post and all this sort of stuff. And he's really worried that 
customer expectations rise, that the competitors to him start to address those expectations, creating an arms race. So we've got to also make it really easy for people to access our products. You have new regulations coming in, like in, the, in Europe, we have open banking, and it's, that's coming to the US as well. And that essentially is allowing uh, any business to access the data from people's accounts. And you have companies like Plaid and others who work a way around that in the US as well. And that then is releasing you know, all that value of transaction data that is trapped within banks in the past is now you know, other people can take advantage of that. So that's reducing some of the power that the financial institutions have had in the past. And technology is moving so fast that it's difficult for a traditional organization to keep up with that. And so then you have new entrants coming along, banks like Chime in the US, players like Klarna, the buy now, pay later company as well, and indeed Stripe and Square, you can add to that list. And these companies are now becoming, in a short period of time, becoming more valuable than some of the financial institutions that have been around for hundreds of years. So there's a real problem on the supply side, and that's why you know even the most valuable bank in the world is very worried about this situation. Well, we've certainly seen that banks have trouble in the sector we've played in, which is payments, embedded payments, and ultimately embedded finance. We've seen that in payments, banks have had trouble competing for the last 30-plus years in small business payment acceptance. They still compete there, and in some cases they've done okay, but they've had more trouble, and the smaller the merchant, the harder it's been for the banks to compete. And really focusing the continued conversation around the ecosystem of business as opposed to the ecosystem of individuals or consumers, what companies, you mentioned a bunch of companies, I heard you say Stripe and Square, they're certainly in the direct ecosystem of what our customers and partners think about. What would you say are the companies that are at the forefront of embedded finance around businesses? Yeah. And so if we, yeah, so let's take small businesses. Let's focus on them because they, as we said, they're the backbone of the economy. And a good example of this is the software companies that serve those businesses. So you've got the accounting software packages like Intuit and QuickBooks that many small businesses rely on. And then increasingly, you've got what VCs call uh, vertical B2B SaaS businesses. These are software businesses that help restaurants or hairdressers or car dealerships run their business. They're very bespoke and focused um, software designed for certain SMB small business sectors. And those small businesses, of course, are investing more and more in technology to enable them to be more efficient in how they operate. And they're increasingly signing up to these vertical SaaS businesses. And they'll also have a, they'll also work with Intuit or Xero or other of the accounting packages. And what's really interesting is that those software companies on which small businesses rely and run, they are proving to be the golden channel to small businesses for embedded finance. And so what they can see in real time is how the small business is doing. So they can see if the business has taken on more employees, they can see how much revenue it's generating, uh, whether it's expanded geographically. It can also look at the assets and actually look at the bank accounts in real time as well. 
And it gives it a almost a godlike view into a small business or many small businesses. And so what they are realizing is that they have a golden opportunity to embed financial services for a number of purposes. One, they can see before the small business can see when they might need credit or insurance, for example. They can also help the small business, for example, use payments in clever ways. And I know this is your expertise here, but rather than to own the payment experience, rather than send people off to, uh, to another company to pay for things and maybe retain some of the interchange value that is given away to credit card companies and so on. So these software companies that are enabling small businesses are spotting opportunities to add greater value than they already do using financial services. And because they have that real-time information, they're able to offer or make offers that are much more appealing and attractive and relevant and timely than the SM, the small business, the SMB going to a bank or a payments company and so on separately. And they can integrate them into their software as well. So the small business suddenly gets uh, through these platforms, gets access to financial services that it could never do before. And we see Shopify, and you know, as you know, that they make about 50% of their revenue uh, by selling financial services and merchant services to small businesses as well, which are tailored to their requirements and taking advantage of their data rather than being very blunt financial instruments that, uh, that are offered by traditional suppliers. So at one level, the small businesses are getting better solutions. The software businesses that run their operations are generating new revenue. And it, you know, this is increasing their total addressable market by a very considerable amount by being able to offer high margin financial services. And then those who are enabling them to do that are finding new markets, of course. It's often less the incumbents that are doing this and alternative players that are jumping into this market. So I'd say that's a really good example of how small businesses are starting to be served by, I'd call it a new breed of infrastructure that is enabling those brands that are closest to the small businesses to offer and embed financial services into their propositions. And Infinisep would be a you know, great example of that. You are enabling brands to help their customers be more successful uh, with financial services as well. Well, you basically just described our entire customer base. I think all three vertical examples you gave are we have examples of with Infinisep. So that was fascinating listening to you describe it. Tell me about the order of the products. Uh, we have a, a theory on the order that software companies will add individual embedded finance products. I'd love to hear from you what you think the order you've seen or the order you're seeing in terms of what they're offering first, what they're offering as an add-on financial services product, et cetera. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Uh, well, payments is the starting point because you've got to get into the payment flow. That, that's really, really valuable. You can get into the payment flow by proxy using open banking uh, protocols increasingly. But really, if you're one of these software brands and you're able to provide a payment solution which supports the experience that small business wants to create with its customers, then you're in a very powerful position. So payments is, tends to be the starting point. 
and it's less regulated, of course, and it's technically a little bit easier than some of the other types of financial services. Although I'm sure, Todd, you'd tell me it's very complicated, of course, as well, which is <laughs> correct. But payments is the sort of entry point. And then what we're seeing is companies are starting looking at credit, so making lending propositions. But again, that's a little bit more complicated. It's more regulated. Then we're starting to see companies move into insurance as well, which is really, really valuable. Again, there's some bit more complication there as well. But it tends to be that wave, I'd say, starting with payments. It's funny, you're describing exactly what we think about and talk about every day. It's pretty incredible. So, Simon, when you think about the size of this opportunity, we have some thoughts on what we think the market size is. Can you talk about your research and what you've talked about with the size of the markets? Absolutely. So if you look at trends so far, I mean, if you look at those different categories, so there's payments, there's credit, there's insurance, those are the big buckets. There's also you know, banking services, and there are also investment management services as well. But those big buckets around payments, credit and insurance. And if you look at the adoption of embedded payments today, and you look at the trends of how, where that's going, you could see that you could get to about 20% of total payments are distributed in this way, I digitally embedded through third-party brands. And let's say that takes 10 years to come to fruition. It might take a little bit longer. Uh, might take a little bit less. But some VCs that I've been speaking to would say that in the US, we're looking at about 20% by 2030. Now, if you say 20% of digital transactions are through embedded channels, or that embedded is taking that 20% proportion, then you look globally at the market and you look at credit and you say, well, credit's a bit further behind and insurance is a bit further behind. But when you get into those other sectors, you tend to get to about 20% in 10 years' time. And then if you add all that up, you get to some very significant revenues. And I'll give you the sort of global figure, and we compare it back down for the US. But if you add all that up, we get to about over a trillion dollars of revenues that are distributed in this way across those three categories in 10 or, let's say, 15 years' time. And what's really interesting is that the companies that are facilitating that are companies like yours. You are digital companies that are creating what I call new types of infrastructure to enable brands and platforms to do embedded finance. And if you are enabling that level of distribution, even if we just give you a valuation multiple of five times the volume that you're enabling, I know it's often a lot higher than that, then you're getting to a potential of about over $7 trillion of new market value being created, i.e. this is the value of the companies that are enabling embedded finance in 10 or 15 years' time. And just to put that in perspective, the value of the top 30 financial institutions last year, when I did the calculation, was about half of that. It's about $3.6 trillion of the 30 biggest financial institutions today worldwide are about 3.6 trillion. And the big software companies, the platform businesses like Microsoft and Amazon and Apple and some of the others, they're about 5 trillion. So in theory, with a good wind and uh, all the energetic entrepreneurialism from companies like yours and others, we could be creating businesses worth double the value of the financial institutions today in 10 or 15 years' time. And that's why VCs are very excited by this space. Let's call it the 
uh, let's call it the embedded finance infrastructure space, enabling others to do what we've been talking about today. Wow, that's an incredible set of figures. We count the part that addresses small businesses through embedded payments and embedded finance, we count that as being about $585 billion market Mm. to the business world uh, based on a bunch of research. So, okay, sounds great, but with big markets often come big challenges. So what are the biggest challenges to realizing this? So I guess there's different stakeholders and we could think about them as follows. There are Let's say there's non-digital brands and then there's digital brands. And these are the companies that have these daily or regular interactions with end users, whether they're small businesses or consumers or or others. The challenge for the non-digital brands is that they really don't appreciate the art of the possible today because things are moving so fast. And I'm sure when you you know you speak to a lot of brands that have lots of small business customers and you know, what you're saying is quite new to them as well, I can imagine. And that's the case across the world today. So I think the the knowledge and understanding of what is even possible today is very limited. The more digital platforms, the neo banks, the neo insurers, and um, some of the big digital platforms like Amazon and PayPal and the others, I mean, they're much more savvy, of course, and they're thinking about creating their own capabilities in-house. But the many smaller digital platforms and digital brands which are proliferating in every sector, again, this is new, relatively new for them. And they might have just started thinking about how they could own the payments journey, create experiences themselves, generate revenue for themselves by embedding payments rather than just giving all that value away to others. That tends to be where they're starting to think. And then they're also thinking, as I mentioned before, well, we could get into lending and insurance. And that's you know, again, a bit more complicated for them to get their heads around. So I think for all of those organizations that have these close relationships with the end customer, it's really an an education exercise or challenge at the moment, and a a, an understanding and awareness. I think that's the major challenge. I'm sure when, when you speak to companies, when you show them what you can actually do, they get very excited. And they sort of say, wow, I didn't even know we could do this. And it we tried before and it was going to take a year and a half with a traditional bank or insurance company and now we can do it in a few months. So I think that tends to be the where we are with most of those organizations. And then I suppose for tech players like yourselves, like the, the people who are trying to enable this, then the challenge is it's an awareness and education one as well. You're trying to engage customers and make it really easy for them to be able to do what I said right at the top of this call, which is to use financial services like Lego bricks and combine them with their own propositions. And so for you and others in this space, trying to make it really easy for non-technical people as well as developers to take advantage of embedded finance as well and add those capabilities on to your proposition. So I'd say that would be a challenge for some of the enablers in the space. And then just finally, you know, for investors, of course, they need to understand this market and work out uh, who's best to put their funding behind and who's most likely to win in this market. And then finally, I'd say regulators, because when we start to move in other ta- into other types of embedded finance, then some of the regulations are sort of unnecessarily restrictive, not because they're deliberately so, but they were just made in a previous era, which are no longer relevant. So I'd say those are some of the challenges for the different constituents that are involved in this market. 
Certainly, market education is something we talk about on an everyday basis at Infinicept, and you've done uh, your part and you continue to do your part to help companies understand this. If you're a company listening and you're trying to decide what is the best thing for you to do as your first step, what would you do? What would you recommend that they do immediately? I think there are two things. At a high level, I'd say create a strategy for it. So don't ignore it. And create a strategy sounds very glib and simple. But what I mean by that is whatever role or position you play in the market, whether you're an incumbent bank or you're a tech company or a digital platform or a brand or whatever, uh, or a trade association or so on, this is, as we've talked about, this is a really exciting space and it's not going away and it's just getting more and more sophisticated. So I think you need to create a strategy and that means working out what is your ambition in this space. There's many different roles that companies can play and define that and get alignment on that. And then, of course, you need to work out where do you play exactly and how do you win? These are classic strategy questions. And what sort of niche could you create that you could dominate? Again, uh, important questions for any company. You'll then need to look at what type of capabilities you need, because many of the capabilities we're talking about do not reside within traditional companies. Even the biggest companies in the world with big, big customer bases, they're not used to what we're talking about, and it requires new skills. And then typically, what I tend to say for the bigger companies is that you probably need to create a separate organization to really focus on this, because you know, the core business may not have the skills to really take advantage of this opportunity. So that's what I would, you know, I'd say decide this is important and create a proper strategy and answer those key strategic questions. But in parallel with that, find out about the art of the possible. Speak to companies like yours and, and others about what's working, what case studies exist, what use cases can be enabled, and educate yourself on this topic. So I'd say those two things. So what I've heard today is embedded finance is real. It's happening. It's needed on both sides, both there's a demand for it from small businesses and, and other markets, and there's a need for it from the supply because the companies responsible for financial services aren't making money. Too many of them aren't making money. And it's huge, that's what I heard you say. It starts with payments, and there's actions that a company can take right away. Simon, thank you so much for spending the time with me today on the topic. Can you please uh, let the audience know how they can contact you if they want to find out more? Absolutely. So do follow me on LinkedIn. I, I do post a lot on LinkedIn and I, I enjoy that way of interacting with people. So that's one thing to do. You can find me. There are not many people with my name on LinkedIn, so you'll find me quite easily. And then secondly, I have a website called, uh, well, as you'd expect, embedded-finance.io. And again, there's plenty of material there as well that you can look at. I know we'll be uh, continuing to contact you, and I know we have some things uh, on the docket for later this year. So very, very excited about that, Simon, and appreciate your work. I'm a big fan. I'm really inspired by the work you've been doing and uh, look forward to chatting with you in person coming up. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Todd. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for your time today. Take care. Thank you so much to Simon Torrance for joining us today. These conversations absolutely fascinate me, and I hope they did for you too. Many thanks to our awesome listeners for tuning in to the It Pays to Know podcast once again. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. 
To hear more from us, go to Infinicept.com, where you'll also be able to learn more about our PayOps platform and how we get payments going your way. For Infinicept, this is Todd Ablowitz. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll pay you another visit next time.